Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. You want to launch a book, but not one that gets two reviews and is forgotten the next day. So how do you do it in a way that changes your career and your life? That's what I'm here to tell you. Welcome to Launch Your Book with Anna David. Hi there. Welcome to Launch Your Book with Anna David. I'm your host, Anna David. We talk about launching books. And um, yeah, in this episode, I'm going to be honest, I recorded this episode before the most recent name change of the podcast. Previous name was Build Your Business with a Book. So we talk a lot about that. But now the podcast is called Launch Your Book. And I am so excited to bring you this episode today. It is with the one and only Jess Leahy. Now, she's a brilliant lady. She's a former New York Times columnist, contributes to The Atlantic. She's got a podcast. She's also the New York Times bestselling author of The Gift of Failure. And her new book, the addiction inoculation is the one she was meant to write. Here's why. Sober woman, reporter, and has taught high schoolers in recovery. Plus, she's married to this um, this brilliant doctor who who helped her with a lot of the scientific and medical knowledge. And it is, it is uh, basically a book for parents um, who would like to inoculate their kids uh, against addiction. So, so it's really, it's super interesting to me on a number of levels. And she is super interesting to me on a number of levels. Uh, in this episode, she, she, uh, this girl is a, this woman, let's just, Let's call her a woman. This woman is a go-getter. She talks about how she gets speaking gigs and how she gets um, celebrity endorsements and how she gets on big podcasts. And it really, it really makes makes you feel lazy, frankly. But it, she walks you through exactly how to do it. So I hope you love this episode. I think you will learn a lot. If you would like the show notes for it, where you can get links to her book and more information about her and all these awesome ideas she shares, just go to launchpadpub.com slash blog slash Jess. And here we go with Jess Leahy. Well, hi there. Well, hello there. Do you know what's funny? I just asked you if you prefer Jessica or Jess, and I didn't listen to your answer. Happens all the time. I actually had to admit that to my kid last night. I was nodding or something. And then I said, I'm sorry, I haven't been listening for the past like two minutes. So I have no idea what we're talking about. It's Jess. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, it's, it takes a big person, I think, to admit that. Um, I do it all the time. Sorry, I'm already segueing with neighbors when I move into a new place. Oh, yes. Yeah. You do that? Well, because you're so nervous, you can't hear in the first place. Well, and are you ever just sitting there thinking, God, I'm such a good neighbor. And you're thinking about what a good neighbor you are and not what their their answer is. Um, I, I do a lot of thinking about something else when I'm supposed to be thinking about what's happening right in front of me. Um, my husband is upstairs. If you'd like me to bring him down, I'm sure he could tell you all about it. Well, you know, that's what happens when you're a thinker. Am I right? I also 
just, I'm hyper and I've, I just have a lot of stuff that I need to be doing. And sometimes it's not like profound things. It's the fact that, you know, I really should strip the sheets on my bed and, you know, yeah, it's a little embarrassing sometimes. Well, it does. I will say go with alcoholism. Does mm-hmm. it not? The busy, yeah. busy mind that is frankly quite good at multitasking. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So this is why you're my perfect guest because this is a Lint. podcast that has, maybe I should wait till the end to say that, but I'm just going to be optimistic. <laughs> this is a podcast that three years ago was a podcast about recovery and yeah. has slowly transitioned into being a podcast about books. And here you are with the newest book about, not just the newest book about recovery, but the book that has been, we have all been waiting for. Um, well, and to be very, very clear, my book is the early versions of the book I envisioned were definitely about, you know, it's about kids. So I did envision that it was going to be about recovery. And then I had to pull back and say, that's not where my expertise lies. Um, I mean, yes, I have taught in a drug and alcohol rehab for kids, for adolescents for three, for five years, but prevention is really what I was most interested in. So the book is prevention, prevention, prevention. And if you're looking for someone to handle, you know, like, when is it time for, you know, a rehab? When is it time? Blah, blah, blah. Then there are lots of other wonderful books about that. But my book is all about prevention. That being said. Um, but I also talk about my own recovery. So, you talk yeah. about your own recovery. And it, recovery is, addiction is one of those wily things where there aren't clear answers, which is in oh, your yeah. book. And yeah. we were talking about it before we started recording. Mm-hmm. Um so, so let's talk about your, well, first of all, let's talk about your, your career, teacher, journalist, author. Was this always part of the podcaster? Is this always part of the trajectory, the plan? You know, when you have that, like I'm 50 now. So if you have that like bird's eye view of your life, you can say, oh yeah, a lot of what, I, um, a lot of what I was doing was teaching, but it wasn't in a formal teacher sense. And then when I finally got the opportunity, I was actually in law school when I became a teacher, I was going to be working in juvenile court. I had a job all lined up. I was, you know, that's what I was going to do. Um, I was asked to start teaching, uh, to teach a class over the summer. And I was hook, line and sinker fully in. Um, I knew it. My husband knew it. He even joked, you know, are you even going to finish law school? Cause it's so obvious you're a teacher. So I did finish, but I went straight into teaching and I had written a book. Um, my first book, like most authors is the one that's in the drawer. Like I sold pieces of it as essays. Um, so I did sell little bits and pieces of it, but never got published. And I said to my husband, you know, I don't know what I'm going to write about next. Like I'm tapped out. I don't know what's next. And he said, well, teaching really lights you up. Um, so you should write about that. And I, I was like, who, no one wants to read about teaching. And I wrote about it anyway. And I was very happy to find out that there's a huge need to hear more about what's happening in the classroom. And that sort of became more, uh, it started moving away from teaching and more into education. And um, I found myself with a column at the New York Times talking about the intersection of education and parenting called the Parent Teacher Conference. So plan. No, I've had a very rambling, um, I've done a lot of different things, but I somehow wonderfully landed at this intersection of education and parenting. And then thank goodness I got sober and recovery and prevention became, you know, sort of one of those things I had to think about just from my own children's perspective. You know, I have two kids um, who have a genetic predisposition and what do I do with that? 
And I, I needed, I essentially get to write the books that I, I want and can't find. And so that's what I did. And that this book was many years in the making. And, you know, I had to re- do a lot of research before I could get there. But this has been an incredible um an incredible experience for me. And the podcasting thing came out of, you know, just loving to talk about books and loving to talk about the process of being a writer and having my two best friends be best-selling authors. So that worked out nicely for us, I think. <laughs> and so we've had a podcast for what, four years now, just talking about the life of writing and how it works and interviewing amazing authors. It's been, it's really a fun, fun gig. I scored. You scored. And, and I so I want to unpack. There were so many, so many things that will be interesting <laughs> to listeners. Okay. So the first thing, the, uh, and somehow I found myself with a column at the New York Times. Since we all know that's not <laughs> something that just somehow happens. Let's talk about how that happened. How that happened was uh, before I was ever, before I ever wrote, so I, I wrote a blog, a teacher blog. Lots of teachers do it. It's great because we can see what each other are doing in our classrooms. Um I wrote on my blog and a New York Times editor saw it. I wrote about um, the fact that all of my students kept failing a quiz and I was getting pissed off at them and not analyzing what I was doing wrong. So there was an article about me in the New York Times. And then um, and then that, that relationship with that editor grew and she took over for the Motherload um, blog at the New York Times. And this parent-teacher conference um, was an idea that we sort of came up with together. And that's that I did that for three years and uh, I loved it. I loved it, loved it. And then at the end of three years, I'm like, yeah, I think, I, I think I've answered all the questions that, you know, I'm done now. Um, but that was really fun. It was every other week for, for three years. And you were the one who said no, no longer. Is it a big? That's a big thing to say that to the New York Times. Yeah, I, part of it was that um, the Motherload blog had been subsumed by what's the, by the well, by well, and I loved working with well. It was just different editors. Um, also, I. I really wanted to leave while I felt good about what I was doing. I didn't want to get to the point where there's that episode of Sex and the City where Sarah Jessica Parker's character is like, is this a thing? Can I write about socks? Is there anything there? And I didn't want to get to that point. I wanted to answer questions that parents really wanted answered and teachers really wanted answered. And I didn't want to start resorting to socks. Is that a thing? Um, So I, I felt really good about that. Yeah, you didn't want to jump the shark in in print. Um, yeah. Now, now, uh, was it a big deal when a uh, New York Times editor saw your blog? Was this a blog that was widely read? Was this a shock to get the email? Because a lot of bloggers out there dream of something like yeah. that happening. Yeah. No, this is um, what was really interesting about the blog is that I, I think it was like my mo- my mom, my dad, a couple of friends, probably the parents of my students, which was horrifying. Um, we're reading it. It was so few. It was like 26 subscribers or something. And the, some people in education found it somehow. I don't know how. And then it sort of, you know, I started writing for other outfits for free, mostly. Yeah, for free. And then those blogs had bigger audiences than mine. So there was that whole like sharing our work kind of thing on a non-exclusive basis. So there were things that like I could put on my blog and then I could also, there was a editor named Robert Pondicio, who's now with the Fordham Institute. He was writing for the Core Knowledge Foundation and he had his readership was really amazing. And so it was little incremental things like that. Mm -hmm. Plus um, then I finally wrote an article um, 
that was more than a blog post. And I knew because it was based on a study and I kind of knew this was bigger than just a blog post. And so I put feelers out, got the name of an Atlantic editor, and that was my first Atlantic piece. And it's sort of a, you know, it was a bit of a fairy tale because it was my first piece at the Atlantic. It went viral. It was called Why Parents Need to Let Their Children Fail. Mm-hmm. And then we had a 14 editor, a 14 publisher auction for that book based on that article. But at the same time, you know, capitalizing on that every single step of the way, every single time I had an article that I thought was um, radio worthy, TV worthy, I was pitching and pitching and pitching and pitching my work. Um, Like, are your listeners possibly interested in me talking about this? And so every single time I had an article come out, my routine was then two hours of pitching individual producers for all of the places where I'd started building relationships. Because if you're a writer at The Atlantic and you're going on, you know, the Today Show to talk about the thing you talked about in this article in The Atlantic, then people are seeing you as an expert on X and that builds on itself. And then you start to build a reel and then you're real, you know, people like to depend on the same sort of quote unquote experts over and over and over again. And so that became a really important part of what I was doing, the media outreach. Yes, I will say the TV thing is they they sort of audition you one, let's say once. They're like, yeah. she can form great sentences. She doesn't yeah. freeze this. And, and people don't get that. You just get into their roster. And yeah, and I was it was a trial by fire for me because I, the gift of fa- the article that the gift of failure sort of grew out of. I did in the it came out. It went viral. I did the I did uh, Fox. I did a bunch of local stuff. I can't remember if I did the Today Show then. Anyway, I did a bunch of media right off the bat. And I didn't know what I was doing. Luckily, I had a friend who could give me a few pointers, but I had no idea what I was doing. So my, if you look at my reel, you can see what the earliest stuff is because, you know, all I knew at that point was lean forward. That was like my, you know, lean forward and look like you're really sort of into the, um, but that was sort of, it was very much a trial by fire. So by the time the gift of failure came out, not only did I have all these relationships with producers where I'd gone over and over and over again with my Atlantic pieces and my New York Times pieces, um, I had also, so I had all those to build on with the New York Times when Gift of Failure came out. They also had examples to see of my work. I also knew, for example, that I wanted to read my own audiobook, but they're not going to let me do that with no experience. So I started writing for Vermont Public Radio and doing these short commentaries. And the producer at Vermont Public Radio, Betty Smith, essentially did my training in radio and that gave me the chops I needed so that by the time the audiobook was they were ready to cast the audiobook I said can you give me a shot and they gave me a shot and I got to read the audiobook so all of this is okay 2 years from now I want to be in a position to do x how do I get the training exposure platform whatever to get to that place um now well, starting now since the focus of this of this show is how to build a business with a book. What's so interesting to me about you as a sort of different guest is that you you built a business around writing, which is not common, listener. Well, and and honestly, when COVID hit, I realized just how yes, I have money coming in from my writing. I do. I still freelance. I write book reviews for an outfit called Airmail. I write for the Washington Post periodically. Still. Um, 
but speaking was the career I really knew I wanted to have. I love it's teaching, but on a really big stage. I love it. Um, and that, you know, sort of disappeared with COVID. And suddenly I realized I was making about 70% of my income from speaking and about 30% from my writing. So yes, the writing was very much, I love the writing. I will always be a writer. It's my favorite thing to do, but the speaking is the, the ancillary career that I knew I wanted out of that as well. And by speaking, I mean, yes, the media hits and stuff like that, but mostly I mean being, being invited to come and do educating of some sort to an audience around education or parenting or recovery or substance abuse prevention, whatever that topic is. Um, And that, that took a whole other, that's a whole other Um, I talked with Dan Blank on his podcast, Mm -hmm. The Creative Shift, about planning to have a speaking career well before my first book ever came out. Like actively, I wrote two, I personalized 2000 letters to heads of schools, principals, superintendents with a short excerpt from the book saying, this book is going to be coming out a year and a half from now. And wouldn't this be a great book for you to use as a community read so that all your teachers and your parents are reading it. And then I could come in and speak and here's what those speeches could look like. I could talk to your students and do professional development for your teachers and do a talk in the evening. And by the way, did you know that your professional development budget could pay for part of it and your parent association budget could pay for part of it? You know, understanding how to get there was a big part of making that happen. So by the time Gift of Failure came out, I subsidized my own book tour because I had booked all of these talks based on the outreach I did in the two years before the book ever came out. And a lot of that is sitting there while my family is watching a movie one night, addressing envelopes or writing thank you notes or whatever. Um, So having a real vision for what I want not tomorrow, but two years from now sort of has been um, a, has been the, uh, the tactic that has worked for me, the, the angle that has worked for me. That is spectacular because I, you know, when I listened to your episode of Am Writing on, I don't know how many you've done on self-promotion, but the most recent one. And, yeah. and I, it, it, there are so many writers out there because I used to be one of them who are just like, okay, I'm going to put my book out there. And what's so amazing yeah. is I'm going to get speaking gigs and I'm going to get on the Today Show. And they don't understand not only that this is a very proactive part of it, but that it's half of it. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, so the our podcast, Hashtag Am Writing, has three hosts. There's me, there's KJ Delantonia, who just her novel, The Chicken Sisters, was one of Reese Witherspoon's picks for her book club. That's a that's lightning. You know, you can't, you know, the the lightning that happened for me was Kristen Bell featured my book on Instagram and said everyone needs to go buy this book. Like I can't. I could nudge that into happening. Yes, I sent her books over a period of two weeks, two, sorry, two years, but those things just, you know, that's lightning. You can't make that happen. But so there's KJ and then there's Serena Bowen. And Serena Bowen's story is really cool because Serena Bowen wrote under another name first and had a failure of a novel. Like it, it just didn't sell. It went nowhere. So she knew that in order to be able to write more books, she was going to have to come up with a pseudonym and write something that did work. And so out of that, she has created an empire where now not only has she written 30 odd uh, um, romance novels and has hit the USA Today bestseller list with most of the ones she's done over the past five years and won a bunch of awards, 
she now is has created uh, a situation where other authors are going to write within her character and place universe, and she'll be she'll be publishing those books, and that's her gift for. She does not want to speak; like she has no interest in going out and speaking, but. Well, not none, but very little. But what she's really good at is building her network with bloggers, book influencers, you know, who are the other people, book, you know, the bookstagrammer, book influencer people is, you know, how do you build that community and those relationships over a period of time so that you have each other's backs when your new book comes out and you have reviewers in your place and you have um, these people who made these people made gorgeous Instagram. If you go to Serena Bowen's Instagram feed, people make the most amazing Instagram posts for her because they love her work and they love her characters and they love her and they love the universe that she's built. So all three of us have done this, but in very different ways because KJ didn't want to go out on the road and speak, but she also published a nonfiction book that would could have benefited from her doing that. So she had to figure out how to do it as an introvert who does not want to get up on stage and do anything. Um, so it's been really interesting to watch, you know, to follow. We do a lot on self-promotion because we have to, because we're all doing it in very different ways. God, the three of you are spectacular. <laughs> Nobody makes me feel lazy. And I, but we, but when we first became friends, Serena's first book hadn't come out. The one that didn't do well, KJ had written a book for like reading to toddlers and teens, tweens or toddlers and whatever. Um, and then, and I hadn't written anything. So, you know, the three of us have sort of come up together over the past 10 years um, in our careers. And that's been also really fun. Now, the what you said, too, uh, uh, you know, oh, yes, Kristen Bell, it was lightning in a bottle. Of course, you know, I had been sending her books for the last. Yeah. Like, people don't know that. That is not really yeah. lightning in a bottle. It is. Yeah. But you took the action for, you know, luck comes to the prepared, mm -hmm. they say. Yeah. Well, and I've been in enough green rooms where they keep the big box of here, take any books you want because we're not going to read these. And so, you know. So, for example, like, yes, I can find out through the Internet who Kristen Bell's manager, publicist, whoever is, but sending those books to those people, the only way she's going to pick up my book is if it's interesting to her. And or really, the deal is the person who's opens, opening the box to see if it's a book she might be interested in that you know who that person might be and you appeal to them. So I can't just, you know, say, Hey, Kristen Bell, I want you to read my book here. Like right now, what I would love more than anything right now, based on what's been happening in social media, what's been happening out there is, you know, Chrissy Teigen has decided to get sober because of Holly Whitaker's book, Quit Like a Woman. She got that book because her doctor put it in her hands. A trusted source put it in her hands. That's how book word of mouth happens. Um, and then people are, you know, selling Chris, uh, Holly Whitaker's book is selling out because people love Chrissy Teigen and now they trust her. You know, Kristen Bell, as a mom, people trusted her judgment. And so Gift of Failure sold like hotcakes when she recommended it. But you have to think about the channels that you're getting the book to the person um, who is likely to open that package. And how do I get that person to think that maybe this might be something that they want to read? Um, you know, and of course, after the Kristen Bell thing happened, I had been working since the very first episode of Dak Shepard's Armchair Expert to get on that show. And that took almost two years also. And that was with the fact that Kristen Bell 
liked my book. And I had been sending notes and I'd been sending books and I'd been coming at it from all different angles. And um, it took two years until I hit the right combination of whatever to get on his podcast, to get on Dax's podcast. So it's, you can't know what's going to work. I've sent so many books to people that probably never saw them and they ended up in those boxes in the green room. Um, And that's fine. That's an investment in the one that does make it into the hands of the person who liked it. And sometimes it'll make it into the right hands and that person will not say a word about it ever, but they'll give it to their friends. And that was interesting too. When I found out that some of those were making it into the right hands and it was being, and someone actually said, I was on the set of this blah, blah, blah. And I overheard the star of this show talking about your book to two other people on the set. And that's hand selling someone, that person is hand selling a book for me. And I respect and appreciate every single hand sell that happens of my book, no matter who it comes from. So, you know, my big question now is if Chrissy Teigen is getting her sobriety in hand, you know, she has kids. How do I get this new book? That's about, um, you know, preventing that in your kids, given that you may or may not have, you know, a genetic predisposition, you know, how do I get that book in her hands? Well, that becomes a bit of an odyssey for me and it becomes a treasure hunt and it becomes a, you know, I'm probably going to send a lot of books to a lot of people and they will not end up in her hands, but that's okay. I like that. I like the challenge. God, we are so different. I I will put myself (laughs) out there in certain ways, but if I send one thing and it gets rejected, I just take it so hard when the truth is the person didn't even see it like that. Yeah. I don't, that's yeah. just gumption that you were born with. Well, you, and here's the big thing I learned from gift of failure is you got to keep track also, which is worse because then I can see all the people who like, I'm the kind of person that I turned off the notifications on my Email, um, email listserv yes. because I didn't want to know that people were unsubscribing because that was just like one unsubscribe. I was like, oh, they hate me. But you do, I do have to keep track of where I'm sending books and um, when I sent it and that kind of thing. Because the last thing you want to do is end up in a situation where you didn't even know you sent a book and then you sent two and you know, all that sort of stuff. But it is hard to, I think my my skin's gotten thicker, honestly. I'm still... When I get attacked online, when people do ad hominem attacks against me or my work, that still really sucks. But I stopped reading the comments a long time ago. I really had a lot of mentors who said the thing you're going to have to do is just not give in to your narcissism. Do not look at the comments. Don't read the comments. Um, And that's really hard. That's really hard to don't, you know, have Google alerts on your name or if you have if you do have someone else look at them first, because there's going to be stuff in there you're not going to want to see. And I think David Sedaris probably has it right on this one. He doesn't ever Google himself. He doesn't have a, you know, he doesn't have any social media presence. And so there's some balance to be struck between those two places. Yeah. It's interesting that my, when I, I published a modern love, not knowing what that was, an agent sold it Mm -hmm. for me. And, um, you know, uh, somebody set up a website to ask who I was sleeping with at the New York Times that such a horrible piece could be published as a <gasps> nice. Love. And I was brand new. My first book hadn't come out. I yeah. didn't know anything. And I remember being yeah. away for the weekend and sobbing all weekend. And yeah. then having the epiphany, it's like, you really do know you've done something notable when you got haters, when you got yeah. people who hate you that passionately. Yeah. And, and modern love people feel very 
People feel proprietary about the column. People people feel proprietary about the content. People feel very strong things about you know what ends up there because you know Dan is really Dan Jones is uh, editor edits uh, Modern Love. He is so he gets so many submissions and uh, he gets to see what happens in the comments. And so actually he's a great person to talk to about having a thick skin because he gets attacked and the people who, whose stuff he publishes gets attacked. And, and it's just part of being out in the discourse. And, you know, I've had, I've been very, very fortunate. Um, I've had few, I've had relative to other people in the media, especially women in the media, I've had fewer attacks than most. Um, but the attacks that I've had have been vicious, like scary, vicious, you know, up some security kind of vicious. So, well, and my husband is involved in, you know, vaccine distribution of the COVID vaccine right now doing, he's a, he's, you know, on the front lines of healthcare and he got attacked recently. I had to go into town and pull down posters that had my husband's name on him saying he was a paid shill, um, that he, no, a paid liar is what they said. And, um, you know, I had to go pull down signs posted to lamp posts at, at intersections that said my husband was a paid liar for the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, and he's a he's a, a doctor who's trying to get people well and trying to spread the word about mask wearing and hand washing and getting the vaccine. And so, you know, if he can handle that, I can handle some people yelling at me for something I wrote about. So, yeah, people you'll never see. Yeah. <laughs> Because they're, they're yeah, in their exactly. parents' basements, potentially. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, and and so, yeah. but so the and also newsletter. You have a paid newsletter. That's also part of the business. Yes. Only for my our podcast. Mm-hmm. So we interviewed Liz Lenz, who I love. On um, uh, she is a fantastic Twitter follow, by the way. And she came on the show to talk about using Substack as a way to build a paid sort of, yeah, here's my email, here's my thing that's free to everyone, but then there's this extra content. So I subscribed to Liz and she said, you know, there are some months where her paid readers make the difference in whether or not she can pay rent. And KJ and I, when we started the podcast, just the two of us, We knew that this was something, a labor of love. We knew we'd be dumping a lot of money into it. We do have a producer, a friend that was someone we hired who had worked with us at New Hampshire Public Radio. She and I have both done stuff there. And he's been with us since the beginning. And about two years in, we figured we had put just money-wise, not time-wise, money-wise, we'd put at least $10,000 each into this thing. So we thought about Patreon, we thought about, and we went, ended up with Substack. So now if you listen, you can listen to our podcast for free. If you want to subscribe and support us to the tune of $80 a year, you will get all kinds of bonus materials. You'll get these things called um, writer top five. So every week we write, like we do tech reviews, we do writer tech reviews. We do things like, you know, last week it was top five tips on recording your audiobook because I had just done that. And a bunch of other sort of things. And then we have a, a Facebook group that's for our podcast. And, you know, our subscribers now pay for our producer. And we also have some sponsors. And we were very, th- it took us a long time to take on sponsors because we joke about the fact that, you know, some podcast sponsors, you can tell the podcaster is just you know, reciting some stuff and maybe they don't use the product. We wanted to make it really clear that these were people we trusted and believed in. And so now we make enough to each of us have a teensy tiny 
check at the end of the year. I'm talking like, yay, we can go out for dinner, the three of us and go crazy and, you know, get an appetizer and a main course, you know, that kind of thing, not anything major, but it's paying for the podcast. And that's, that's major for us because that was a lot of money we sunk in before it ever started to pay for itself. Well, and I want to, I want this podcast to sponsor. So that's, that's a goal. And I don't ever, there's, there's nothing that I ever want to promote it on as a, mm-hmm. as a paid Yeah. We pursued one of them. So Author Accelerator was our first one. And Jenny Nash was KJ's book coach for the Chicken Sisters, the book that was Reese's book club pick. And Author Accelerator, Jenny Nash, she's fantastic. Book coaches, when they know what they're doing, are unbelievable. They're sort of like really well-trained editors. They're just really the right book coach can really make a difference. So we really believed in Author Accelerator and she was our first sponsor. And then um, since then, the ones that we've picked, I mean, honestly, we just brought on um, the Great Courses Plus because I've been a subscriber to the Great Courses for over a decade. I own a whole bunch of courses because as a teacher, I had to constantly learn about new stuff. And so now, you know, with Great Courses Plus, um, it's just fun because I in the sponsor posts that I do for each episode, I talk about what I've been learning from, you know, and it's it's been a really nice partnership. And um, we've decided to, you know, not try to make a lot of money off of sponsors and keep it to the bare minimum so that we're paying for ourselves. And that's just about it. And that's where I think we're, we're happiest. Mm-hmm. Well, so as we, as we move towards wrapping up, it, what do you want people to know about the new book? What is, um, the primary message? What would you like readers of this podcast, most of whom Mm -hmm. are aspiring authors and a lot of people in recovery because that's my audience? Yeah. So the thing that I would love people to know is that this is is a book that um, I love sort of cross genre books. So I'm a huge fan of nonfiction that incorporates memoir. Like there were a few great books this year I loved, like um, Why Fish Don't Exist by Lulu Miller and um, the book Eels, uh, books that are about um, researching something really deeply, but also that that personal experience with the topic. And that's what this book was. There's there's way more memoir in this book than I expected there to be. There's also um, this, the people who agreed to be a part of this book. Um, I have two people in particular, Brian and Georgia, both their real names, who are young adults uh, who really went through the ringer with their own substance abuse. I mean, Georgia was a, a student of mine when she was 15 and ended up going all the way down into, she almost died. She lost a child. I mean, it's just been, it's been, and she's now in recovery and working towards a master's degree and has worked in harm reduction. And, you know, these people that gave me these stories and, and gave me the the privilege of talking about their stories and were so honest and wonderful with me, I wanted people to have people to identify. I wanted readers to have people to identify with in the stories and to prov- to do the thing that I, th- I think I do well, which is to, to be a total research geek, read everything I could get my hands on, and then translate the research. It is something that someone who doesn't want to read research will understand and enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I got to find that level of I'm a total dork and this just delights me to no end. Let me give you as much detail as possible. I will overwrite this thing three times over so that I have to remove two thirds of the words before my editor is like, look, Jess, 
No one cares about how many barrels of beer there were in the hold of, you know, this ship when it came over from England, get to the point. And between my own ability to carve away at my own work and my editor's ability to say, Jess, yeah, no one needs to know that much information about that thing. I somehow end up with this piece that's enjoyable, entertaining, funny, I hope. Um, There's a lot of humor in this book, but at the same time is very rigorous when it comes to the research. I happen to be married to a physician and statistician, so he helps me do that as well. Um, Very memoir, very evidence-based. Here's what we as parents and educators and mentors and coaches can do to prevent substance abuse in kids. Here's what's under our control. Here's what's not here's some good stories to uh, to sort of round out that information. That's what I want people to know about the book. And listener, you can get the book, The Addiction Inoculation, uh, read by the author, also obviously in print. So much fun. Uh, yeah. Getting to I, read your own book is super fun. Yeah. I'm sitting in my book room. I have a studio in my house where mm-hmm. our clients record so cool. audiobooks. So cool. And so so much more exhausting than the dream that you're picturing. So much. The first day was like my my recovery story plus some hard stuff about brain development and kids and like real cognitive development stuff. That day I came home after recording from 10 until 4 and I laid down on the bed and I passed out for like two hours. My brain was so tired. It's it's exhausting, but it's also just really exhilarating. And both times I've recorded audiobooks, I cried at the end. I got oh. a little weepy at the very end because oh. it's just such an intense experience. I get a little weepy because I'm just so exhausted. Um, yeah, it is tiring. Well, thank you so, so much for doing this. If people want to find out more about you, where should they go? JessicaLahey.com and it's L-A-H-E-Y. And I'm over at Twitter a lot because as a profession, teachers are the largest users of Twitter. And so, you know, people talk about Twitter being kind of a cesspool of negativity, not when you follow like 11,000 teachers. It's not. It's actually a wonderful place to be. I'm over there at, as at Jess Leahy. And uh, so everything you could ever want is at my website as well. So there's a blog over there. There's all the stuff about all the books and, and all the fun stuff. And you're a podcast listener. So go get hashtag am writing. You will love it. Hashtag am writing. And it's now searchable over its, its home on Substack so that you can find all of those episodes on self-promotion or you can find all of those episodes on audiobooks or whatever it is you want to find. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jess. This is oh, you're so welcome. I'm just, I love the work that you're doing. I love just that you've built this business out of the things that you find most interesting. I'm I'm just always in awe of people who can do that. So uh, rah, rah, right rah, rah, you. At you, mutual <laughs> admiration society. Okay, bye guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me this week on Launch Your Book with Anna David. For more info about the show, go to launchyourbookpod.com where you can get show notes and so much more. If you got anything out of this episode, I can't tell you how much I would appreciate a review. And don't forget, my company, Launchpad Publishing, is here to help you at any stage in your writing and publishing journey. Just go to launchpadpub.com for more and be sure to tune in next week for next week's episode.